Stories, fables, ghostly tales. A father loses his wife, pulled into the earth by an unseen force, trapped there forever, unless he chooses to venture beneath, into the darkness, the pitch-black caves, with his son and the police to find out the truth of what happened to her. Welcome, you lovelies, to your continuation of an old episode of mine. In fact, all the way back to episode 226, titled Deep Sleep by Keith Daniels. It was a fantastic story then, and even more so now, that there is a sequel to this tale. Keith was kind enough to reach out to me, both providing me the permission and the info that it's complete. We have mystery, we got suspense, we got spelunking, and mates, I can't wait to bring this gem to your ears. But before we start, I want to thank my awesome Patreon supporters that keep this show growing and improving. First up, my Ode Night Tea Titans, Matthew J. Bauer, Spirit Whisperer. From town to town, the Spirit Whisperer travels, never truly calling any place his home. The people, the places he visits, stay with him forever, because little do those around him realize the Spirit Whisperer remembers all. And for those he does treat and cares for with his knowledge, will feel a bond that would betray his nomadic lifestyle. Having people think that he had lived there with them all their lives, the Spirit Whisperer shares his thoughts to the minds of those passed on from this world, finding answers to mysteries and solace to loved ones who never receive their final word. The Spirit Whisperer is a helper of humanity and leaves a trademark blue teardrop gem wherever his services are used. Should you ever need his service, his comfort, his support, simply whisper and wish. Your whisper will be heard, and the traveler shall travel. Maya the Gem Tracker. Others dig around in caves and find themselves a pittance of gold, silver, and valuable ores. But not the Gem Tracker. People say she uses magic to locate opals and diamonds tucked away in the recesses of the Gortanian Mountains. Known for its rare metals that melt in ice, yet reforms to its original shape in the furnace, thriving off the heat. The simple answer to her power is pure skill. Digging in the depths of caves for years has earned her a unique set of skills and experiences, which have taught her one thing, listening carefully. You see, the gem tracker delves deep and uses her tools and the sound of the caves to guide her hand. With those years of experience, she can throw a coin down a cave wall and tell you exactly what lies behind it. There is no magic to Maya's power, only talent and skill. Solstra, Cavern of Wishes. At the center of Lake Sifra lies a cavern, one that is unknown to many of this world. Tucked away in the recesses of Mount Gortanian, where the rivers run a teal blue and glisten with clear tinges of aqua that makes the appearance of water there glisten like moonlight. Travelers have stumbled across this lake, and of what documentation that has been shared, the waters of that lake bring eternal fortitude and almost endless life. Many have feigned having found this elixir, and many will continue to do so for sure, but the waters there are unique more so than just eternal life. It is an elixir of willpower. Consume this water and bring in your mind your greatest wish. 
it is in that moment that your life, what spurs you on, what motivates your desires to achieve, will rest on that wish. An obvious warning lies within such power of motivation, but the lake of wishes is one such wonder. Mates, for these three tales today, I wanted to share a spectrum of spirituality, spelunking, and underground mystery, which are all traits of today's stories. I was asked where I come up with these stories by a lovely listener, and here's my answer. I write these before the episode airs. I sit down, think of the episode I just recorded, write a framework around the mini-tale, and expand from there. A lot of fun and a great challenge. They come from the many tales I've read, audiobooks I've listened to, and ideas from Pathfinder and D&D games I've played in the past. Thanks for the question, mates, and also, thank you to the Night Tea Titans for your awesome support. Am I white to you, warlords? I own cows, hoof spectre graves. As an inspector of quality, geological, and metallurgic materials, there is nothing this wise man cannot identify. And it was his research and input that helped detect multiple illegal cave criminals that were using cows to stash gold and valuable resources through means of luring, surgically implanting those resources in those cows, and hiding them in caves for months at a time. Hoofspector Graves was able to bust four major cow syndicates and continue to provide first-class investigative knowledge to the force. Without Graves, the world would be down a lot of cows and up a lot of criminals. Lee Bauer, the Cave Sleuth no one knows the caves of Tyronia like Lee Bauer, the cave sleuth. Over 500 deep sea passages, 100 underwater connecting tunnels, and 20 areas of Tyronia that others have yet to discover, and that Lee refuses to share with mapmakers due to their treacherously difficult paths. He was concerned that he would lead others to their deaths. Lee's exquisite physique and vice-like memory puts him first in the category of spelunking and works closely with Hoofspector Graves to trick criminals, and map routes to cut them off. The Cave Sleuth is the Riddler of the Underground. Mates, I hope you both enjoyed your tales. I really enjoyed fitting in a bovine for your tales, Ion Cows. And Lee Bauer, I wanted to showcase your natural talents with the premise of today's tale, Spelunking. Thank you both for your support, mates. Every episode, you're making a difference. And of course, my old grain forces, Chad Warren, just Heather, Lorraine Grisanto, Paige Marcini, Peter Raffelli, Tasha Moncrief, Christina Boyd, and Divided by Zero. Thank you so much for being the lifeblood that pumps through my veins, folks, and I really hope you enjoy this tale. Oh, also, I'll be adding the link to the episode in the show notes for the previous one, so that's episode 226. So if you want to get a recap, listen to that episode, and then bounce right back to this one. Now mates, turn off the lights, turn up the sound, and get ready to go deep cave spelunking. Deep Sleep Part 2 I've told you before about my wife's nightmares, and the strange condition that caused her to fall in her dreams, passing through the bed and everything below it. I've told you about her disappearance, and my frantic attempt to rescue her from the depths below our home. There's more. I went down to the basement upon hearing the sheriff's yelling, and found him and the deputy getting ready to leave. Sheriff told me that they've received a call from across town and needed to go check things out. I didn't ask questions. I already had enough on my mind. 
Before he left, Sheriff Thompson turned back and gave me a long, piercing stare. I expected an accusation, maybe even a threat. Instead, all he said was, Be careful. Then the two of them left. Liam and I continued our work, scraping shovel after shovel of dark, hard earth from the bottom of the hole. We didn't talk. I was just glad my boy was there with me. It was in the early morning, around 4am, when Liam climbed up to get a drink of water. Ever since I had started digging in the basement, there had been strange, barely noticeable sounds from below. As the others and I started making progress, the noises got louder and louder. It seemed to me that the sounds were coming from the ground itself, not something below it. I had hoped for a while that it was Karen calling out from down there in the ground, but I didn't believe that anymore. It wasn't human, and if it was, it was a sound that only a great big crowd of people could make. It was like a drone or chant, like dozens or even hundreds of people exhaling all at once or whispering the same low word without stopping to breathe. Now that I stood alone in the pit, surrounded on all sides by the metallic stone walls, it was louder and more persistent than ever. I stopped digging for a moment to listen to it. The sound became like an echo, or many echoes, of many voices blended together in a long, undulating chant. The rocks vibrated with it, as though there was a pulse flowing through the stones all around me. The air in the pit throbbed, and I started getting dizzy. Above me, standing on the edge of the pit, Liam was staring down. He looked worried. He opened his mouth and shouted something down at me, but all I could hear was the deafening roar in my ears. Slowly, deliberately, I lifted my shovel and drove it hard into the earth at my feet. The floor of the pit collapsed. I fell, screaming into the void below. There was a brief moment of darkness before I felt myself engulfed in cold water. When I opened my eyes, I could see stones and debris sinking into shadows all around me. As I swam to the surface, I was shocked by the silence in the cavern. The bizarre chanting had stopped completely, and I could hear Liam shouting to me from above. In my fall, I had swallowed a mouthful of water in shock. And as I spat and choked on my way to a nearby ledge, I realized that it was salty, like the ocean. The light from above made it clear that I floated in the center of what looked like a small subterranean lake. To either side of me, I could see a ledge that ran around the perimeter of the pool, and I swam over and pulled myself out. Dad! Liam shouted down. Are you okay? Talk to me! I hollered back that I was alright, nothing broken, but I could still sense the panic in his voice as he scrambled to look for a way to get me out. I could hear him up there in the basement looking through shelves for a rope. One of the ladders had fallen through with me and it was sunken somewhere beneath the black water of the pool. I thought about diving down and trying to retrieve it, but something in the back of my head shut that idea down immediately. While I was in the middle of trying to figure out how big the cavern was, and what direction it reached, I heard a hushed noise come from above. The sound of clanging and shuffling had stopped. Liam? I called out. Is everything okay? 
Innocently, I realized what an idiotic question I was asking of my son. In that same moment, I understood what the hushed noises were, and why Liam had gotten quiet. It's, it's okay, okay son. son. I rubbed the salt and sweat from my eyes. Don't, Don't cry. cry. I comforted him as best as I could. I tried to help him regain his confidence, that confidence that I had seen in him since he was a boy. That same confidence that allowed him to climb trees and race bicycles and dive from wharfs into the ocean with a smile on his happy young face. But looking back now, I know that I could have done more. I could have made him feel safer. The truth is, my tired mind was distracted. All I could think about was searching for Karen. If I had survived the fall, she must also be alive down there, somewhere. Once Liam was back to work, I asked him to do something for me. It would take time to prepare the rope in a way that would allow him to come down and for us both to climb back out. So I asked him if he could get me a flashlight. If I was going to wait, I might as well take a look around the cave. Liam dropped something down the hole and I swam out to retrieve it, taking care not to linger for too long in the middle of the pool. Something made me not want to stay in the water for too long at a time. He had placed a flashlight in a plastic shopping bag and blown up the bag with air before tying it down. When I got back to the shore and pulled out the flashlight, it was a little wet, but when I flicked the switch, it flared to life and illuminated the cave around me. It was even larger than I thought. The cave ceiling towered about 20 feet above my head, reaching a high point at the center where I had fallen through. The walls down there were even darker than where we had been digging above, almost perfectly black. When I ran my hand over the surface, it felt as hard and smooth as glass. Careless, I nicked my thumb on the sharp edge of the cavern wall. As I watched a thin line of red well up on my thumbprint, the sound of chanting echoed for a moment across the waters of the cave. I felt the skin across the back of my shoulders tighten, and after a long moment I realized my vision was starting to go blurry. Shaking my head, I snapped out of it and saw for the first time that on the opposite side of the pool, the cave narrowed into a tunnel, or hallway, and wound off into the subterranean dark. I started to make my way around the ledge toward it, doing my best to keep my balance and ignoring the beginnings of the familiar hallucination that came with sleep deprivation. Around me, the walls of the cavern began to ripple like waves. Shadows loomed in the corner of my eye, and for a moment, I actually considered laying down to rest. I fought it off and soon, I had made my way around to the narrow tunnel and shone my light inside. I couldn't see more than a hundred feet ahead, because after that, the tunnel curved off the right and out of sight. I was about to go back and check with Liam on how he was doing, but at that moment, the chanting sound came again. A lone, brief echo vibrated through the walls of the tunnel, and then I knew for sure the source of it was somewhere down that dark and narrow passageway. I felt something that I hadn't noticed before. The sound had a kind of alluring quality to it. It frightened me. But at the same time, it seemed to call to me. I admit, I found myself wanting to be closer to whatever it was that was making the sound. When I glanced back to the cavern pool, I saw with the shock that I was already at least 50 feet into the passageway. Had I been walking without realizing it? Or was it the sound that had drawn me in? I walked a little further in just to see what was around that bend up ahead. 
I walked around the bend and onward down a wide, low ceiling part of the tunnel where low rumblings could be heard coming from the floor beneath my feet. From there, I stepped out into what I could only describe as a dome. Looking around, my eyes began to blur again. I could hardly believe what I was seeing. Around the dome were at least a dozen other passages, maybe more, winding off out of sight throughout the underground. And at the center was a deep, wide pit rounded with an ancient stone stair that wound down into blackness. What was really strange, beyond anything else, was the wind moving around the cavern. It was so slight, so subtle, that it took the whole walk from the tunnel where I'd come to the edge of the pit to notice it. Air was flowing, slowly and almost imperceptibly, out of the pit. After a few seconds, everything became still, and then that low and droning wind would flow back into the pit, followed by another brief pause of calm. The air pulsed, throbbed, around me. It felt like the breath of some enormous sleeping thing. I felt a dropple of water on my neck and looked up towards the ceiling of the dome. I realized then how far I'd walked. If my sense of direction was any good, I figured that the cavern where I stood was somewhere below the town harbor. As I made my way back to the underground lake, I could hear Liam's voice echoing down the tunnel. He wasn't alone, and it sounded like the voices were coming towards me. As I reached the edge of the water, I could see Liam walking around with two other men, each of them holding flashlights. Through the glare, I could make out their faces of the sheriff and deputy flanking him on either side. I told them what I found, and begged them to come with me back down the tunnel. Before I could go though, sheriff put a hand on my shoulder. Nicole we got, he said. The emergency. The sheriff paused and glanced at Deputy Colby before continuing. A boy's missing, mate. Disappeared. Mother checked on him after putting him to bed. He was just... Gone, Liam said, his voice shaking. Just... just like mum. I led them to the dome, all of them now believing that this was real. The four of us stood at the edge of the pit, staring into the darkness for a good long time. I looked at their faces, their eyes staring into the abyss. I could tell they could feel the breathing too. My hand was hurting, stinging with a sharp, cutting pain. When I looked down, I realized that I was still clutching Karen's ring in my fist, so tight that it was pressed into the skin. I put it in my jeans pocket and started down toward the grimy stone stair. Let's go, I said. Down and down and down we walked in circles around the pit that seemed to grow wider with every pass. The darkness around us was so absolute that it almost felt dense, solid. The beams from our flashlights were pathetic, illuminating only the winding steps directly in front of us with a pale orange glow. The sound of our footsteps on the stones made noises like the crunching of bones. Our breath trailed behind us, in a mist. After a few minutes of slow, careful walking, the stairs moved away from the wall and outward into the darkness. We walked out into that great big blackness, moving cautiously along the meter-wide walkway with unknowable depths on either side. We called out Karen's name, and the name of the lost boy as we walked, 
but there was no returning echo in that place. How her voices just died out without so much as a whisper. And I couldn't help but feel like we weren't underground anymore. I knew we were still in the cavern, somewhere deep below the harbour and at the sleeping town, but looking around me felt like we were walking through nothingness. The darkness was endless. It was like we were somewhere in the cold and vast reaches of outer space, but there were no stars here. No light except our own. I could hear something out there. I could feel it. Something enormous, moving, breathing. There! Ahead! Sheriff Thompson shouted. I shook myself out of the trance I'd fallen into and stared in front of us. My throat clamped shut, and I wanted to scream out in relief, but I was so overcome with emotion that all I could do was run to her. My Karen! My wife! There she was, and she was alive. Alive! Before I could take in the scene or try to understand anything else, I was there, wrapping my arms around her and sobbing. For that moment, those few seconds, nothing else in the world mattered. It was joy. But it was... all wrong. Karen was alive. I could hear her breathing. Her skin was warm to touch. But what the hell was this thing? She was sitting in. It was like a, a chair or a throne. It was carved from what looked like solid bone, but bones don't get that big. It was all grey and dusty and covered in carvings that didn't make sense to me. And why wasn't she waking up? Why the hell were all these other people here, all resting in these bony chairs with their heads thrown back, silently sleeping? Who the hell were they all? And Christ! Some of them looked old, so old I couldn't imagine them walking all the way down here. And why wasn't she waking up? Liam and I both shook Karen, shouted to try and get her to move, but she wouldn't open her eyes or respond. I tried to pull her up to her feet, but it was like she was being held down by something. I couldn't take her. Sheriff Thompson and the deputy were both running around, shining their light at the people seated around in that big circle, trying to figure out who they were and if they were all okay. They found the boy. He was there too, nestled in the seat of his dusty throne. All told, there were eight. Men and women. The boy and another child. A young girl. All sitting, sleeping on this great stone platform in the middle of that impossible darkness, down there under the ground. Across the circle from Karen, another seat waited. Empty. As I fought to try and get Karen free, the hallucination started again. The shadows around us swelled and bulged, and I saw the darkness as a vast, rippling curtain, holding back something that pressed on all sides around us. I squeezed my eyes shut, slapping my head to try and keep myself straight, but I was on the very edge of losing consciousness and I could hear the world growing quiet. I reached out a hand to Liam's shoulder to try and steady myself, but... My hand just moved through the empty air. Liam was gone. Son! I said as I turned around and saw him staring at the empty throne. Stay here, with, with me. me. Don't, Don't you, you hear, hear it? it? He said, not looking back. He took another step away from Karen and I. It's, it's like, like it, it wants, wants me. me. I didn't know what to say, because the truth was, I could hear it. 
the sound from before. That echoed chanting was back. Glancing over at the other two men and seeing their faces made it clear they were hearing it again too. I know, I said to Liam, walking towards him. It's been calling to me too, ever since I fell down here. Don't listen to it. But he took another step toward the throne, and when he did, the visions, the hallucinations from my sleep deprivation, got stronger. The air around me was boiling with movement. I made a move toward him and reached out, but my boy moved away from me. It's, it's where mum is, is, he said. I can, I can talk, talk to her to there. Him. Your, Your mum's here. here, I shouted, pointing back at the silent and sleeping Karen. She's, She's right, right here. here. We, just we just have, have to, to get her out of here, here and everything will be fine. Listen, Listen to your dad, Liam, the sheriff said, taking a step. We don't know what's going on here, but we all need to get ourselves and these people out. Now. The chanting rose around us all, no longer distant but howling. My eyes widened in terror when I saw that the people around us, seated in their thrones, were now chanting along with it. Their eyes were shut, they were still asleep, but their mouths opened as they cried and moaned in unison with that sound. The otherworldly song that filled my mind with pain and longing. I saw the sheriff and deputy throw up their hands, trying to cover their ears and block it out. I stumbled ahead, trying to grab onto my son and hold him back, but I was too slow, too late. Liam closed his eyes and walked calmly to his throne. He reached out a hand and grabbed hold of the bony structure, throwing himself into the seat. Then, all together, the nine in the circle whispered one short, sharp sound. Then, silence. Everything came apart. The world around us was shaking, rumbling. Screams and curses filled the air as the nine sleepers around us all awoke and fell forward onto the ground. Liam whipped his head around, staring in shock at the throne he'd fallen from and clearly focused at what was happening. I ran to him, pulled him up. Together we ran back to Karen and she was moving, scrambling to her feet. She screamed out our names and held onto us, her hands gripping like claws as the shadows in that deep place swirled and tore apart and rejoined again. Deputy Colby scooped up the young boy in his arms and the sheriff was trying to do the same with the little girl that was there, but she kept fighting him. No, she kept yelling, you don't understand. Finally, he was able to get hold of her, but she kept biting and thrashing in his arms. Okay, okay. sheriff yelled above the rumbling noises. We all need to. But he never had a chance to finish. Before he could so much as address the five adults that had gotten to their feet on the platform, they had run to the edge and thrown themselves into the darkness. Shit! Run! I screamed as dust, stones started to rain down from above. Liam and I both held one of Karen's hands as we raced across the ledge and up the stairs of the cavern. The cops followed, hoisting the crying boy and the struggling, cursing girl over their shoulders. We ran as fast as our bodies could allow, our feet scratching and pouring at the stones as we climbed. At the stop of the circle stair, we could see water rushing into the cavern from above. The ceiling was starting to cave in, and all the water in the harbour was going to get down there in a hurry real soon. 
we fled along the passageway back from where we had come, back through the curving tunnel with the sounds of the collapsing earth all around us. The smell of salt water was strong in the air, and the wind was starting to rush out of the cave behind us. Back at the underground lake, we sent Deputy and Liam up the rope first, so they could pull Karen and the boy up. Her hands were weak, and she could hardly hold on, but they got her out of there. Sheriff made me go next, and he crawled right behind me, grasping the still struggling girl. The rope burning my hands because of how tightly I gripped it. We didn't stop in the basement. We ran up the stairs and out onto the lawn, with the crashing, thundering noise following us. <sighs> we made it. The seven of us collapsed onto the grass in the crisp dawn air and lay there listening to the rumbling sounds coming from below the ground. Everything was shaking. Then before our eyes, the house collapsed, exploding in a blast of seawater that rushed up through the cavern and pierced through the structure a good 60 feet into the air. The windows, walls, roofs, and all toppled and came tumbling down, drenched in the spray from the torrent of water. Everything we had, everything we owned was destroyed. Everything was gone. But we were alive. The girl, though, nobody could figure out where the girl had come from. She didn't match the description of any missing persons case in the area, or even the province. Her clothes were strange, a ceremonial gown sewn by hand in a style that looked old-fashioned, to put it lightly. She wouldn't tell them her name, and she fought so hard with them to try and get away that they had to lock her in a cell until she could be transferred to a facility. We could hear her muttering from down the hall of the station, whispering and talking to herself in a language that we couldn't understand. The cops wouldn't let us talk to her even though Karen insisted. She wanted to try and understand what had happened, and she thought the girl might know something. She never did get the chance, though. In the morning when the cops went to check on her in the cell, she was gone. No trace left behind, no means of escape. The security footage, according to Sheriff Thompson, revealed nothing. The talk around town was that during the earthquake, the entire harbour dam near dried up, with water rushing in from the ocean and being swallowed in a great big crack as fast as it could go. All the boats were sitting lopsided in the muck, fish flapping around on the seabed. It was the better part of an hour before things went back to normal and the damages to the boats and properties were catastrophic. It was on the news and everything and there's talk of geologists going in and surveying the area. Some people said they saw something else, though. After the harbour had filled up with water again, some sort of shape came moving out of the crack in the seabed. They say a big thing that caused a swell of current behind it as it moved. Folks on a crabbing boat up the coast said they saw something too. Some kind of big shadow moving under the vessel. Too big to be a whale, they said. More like a dozen whales or so all joined together. Or something else entirely that caused a great big swell of waves and moved north along the coast faster than they could keep up with it. We ended up out of town after all that went down. Karen took some time off to waiting on a transfer, and I gave up the work with the boys. My brother took us under his roof in the city. We're closer to Liam now and get to see him more often. We still haven't found work, but that's alright. We can live off the insurance money for a while. And the two of us don't need a big house anyways. 
maybe we'll look for a nice little apartment. We don't need much. We've got each other now. Sometimes I'll ask Karen about what happened, but she doesn't like to talk about it anymore. She did say one thing that bothered me, and it still bothers me. She said that if Liam and I weren't there when she'd woken up in the cave, and if we weren't holding on to her as tightly as we were, she would have jumped too. She would have thrown herself off to the darkness to fall forever into whatever it was that waited below. She hasn't had the nightmares since, but I still can't let it go. I can't sleep while she's dreaming. I lie awake watching her with a coffee, book, or whatever I need in hand to keep the sleep away. There's plenty of time to sleep when she's awake. Plenty of time to relax when I know she's busy. Besides, I don't like falling asleep that much anymore. My sleep used to be peaceful oblivion. No thoughts or dreams to disturb me, nothing but pure rest. That's how it used to be. Sometimes when I'm alone now, I think about all the darkness down there below the earth. My mind gets stuck on that empty nothingness, and I can't imagine being one of those poor souls who threw themselves over the edge. Or that strange little girl who disappeared from the station. I imagine falling forever, expecting to hit the bottom of some dark and terrible pit, but continuing to just fall. Down, down, down. I've started dreaming about it, too. Well, my brilliant listeners, what do you think? It still amazes me that this story harkens back to episode 226, a whopping two years ago the original was recorded, and how different I sounded then. I can really appreciate the differences there, and it's because of your support that it is so different. Now, the ending was really fascinating. Seems like the blood triggered the opening of the doorway into the downward spiral entrance, and the people that were down there were there for a particular reason, perhaps their energy being siphoned or their souls being absorbed, but either way, the ritual was broken, leading to the collapse of the energy that was holding up that place. It's a miracle that his wife got out in the end, but it also seems that the ritual lives on, in the mind of our protagonist, haunting him, and perhaps is the next victim to this curse. What are your thoughts, mates? Listeners, you lot are awesome. No plug tonight. Have a wonderful weekend. Give someone you love a high five and some tea, and I'll let you get to your next podcast. <laughs> Stay brilliant, and as always, till next we meet.